Hello, everyone. Welcome to this UCL lunch hour lecture on medical leadership and gender disparities in India and England. Uh, my name is Kabir Sheikh, and I'm a professor of global health systems and policy at UCL's Global Business School for Health. And I'll be chairing today's lecture. It's my great honor and pleasure to introduce today's speakers, Dr. Julie Davies and uh, Dr. Kamal Gulati. Uh, let me start by introducing Julie before I hand over to her. And Professor Julie Davies is director of UCL's MBA Health Program in the Global Business School for Health and leads the two-week Global Health Challenge field visit to Saudi Arabia each January. Uh, Julie has published on medical leadership development in India based on a UCL Ames Delhi research project and co-facilitated Shevening funded workshops and mentoring for hospital physicians in Northern India with Dr. Kamal Gulati. She supervises PhD students in health management and planetary health. Her research interests include medical leadership development, health and climate change, equality, diversity and inclusion, micro-entrepreneurship, qualitative research methods and management education. Julie has de designed and delivered extensive education programs in China, East Africa, Kuwait, Russia, Singapore, and has a lot of distance learning experience as well. Uh, she's facilitated programs for business school deans globally. Julie, welcome to the lecture and over to you. Thank you very much for that introduction, Kabir. So uh, thank you also to those joining us from different parts of the world and to our collaborators and participants uh, that have been involved in this project. So Kamal and I would like to share with you our insights from our one-year project that's funded by the Strategic Partnership Fund of UCL Ames New Delhi, which is looking at uh, medical enabling medical leadership in uh, India and England. We'd also like to thank uh, Kirsten Ahmet, who's from the Faculty of Medical Leadership and Management Applied Directing there, who's worked very closely with us and collaborating on this program. So our key messages are uh, to stress the importance of structured, inclusive medical uh, leadership development across the life of physicians from medical school, uh, to enable them to have sustainable careers. And the purpose of this is to uh, enhance the quality of working life for physicians and obviously, of course, uh, patient care. So we're going to look at various definitions of medical leadership, the drivers for our project, contextualize the challenges, talk about the methodology and theoretical frameworks we've used to make sense of the data and propose a model. So Kamal will look at India, I'll look at England and some comparative analysis, and then we'll look forward to some evening funded workshops in the new year in India, mentoring schemes and collaborations continuing jointly. So how do we define medical leadership? Uh, we see it as um, physicians doing institutional strategic work that influences beyond their narrow clinical uh, patient care and delivery. Um, and we see very much the importance of enhancing decent work for physicians, as well as enhancing uh, patient care. So to date, most of the work on medical leadership development has looked at the Anglosphere, uh, high income countries and shown that outcomes are positive from medical leadership development programs for individuals, organizations, and for clinical outcomes. And clearly where there are sources of gender disparities, discrimination against women, 
that can be highly detrimental for physicians not gaining uh, positions in the leadership hierarchy at senior levels, for women uh, services, medical services, inequalities, and for whole economies. So we're passionate about this project. Uh, as Kabir mentioned, I'm director of the MBA health program at UCL. So we work closely with physicians and other clinicians. Um, in developing them. And some of them say they also have a kind of reading age of five when it comes to understanding business models, making business cases. So we're working closely developing their leadership skills. This year, 2023, the NHS Workforce Plan has firmly put uh, flexible and portfolio working on the agenda in terms of retention, but at grassroots level, that's not necessarily happening. We had the messenger report last year about collaborative leadership, and we have this bizarre national graduate management trainee scheme in the UK, which is predominantly not for clinicians. And then we have very positive role models like Sir Patrick Valance, who was in the medical school at UCL, who's one of these hybrid leaders that I think we, we look to create, who could uh, lead in a medical school. He during COVID worked in the NHS as a practicing physician, but he's also head of drug discovery at GSK. Uh, and he worked in government with private equity and the task force for vaccines. So he can transcend multiple boundaries and sectors and speak languages uh, that push uh, transformational change in, in the workforce. More globally, uh, post-COVID, we have the phenomena of quiet quitting, people quitting on the job, uh, the COVID generation who uh, didn't have the socialization skills um, during the pandemic, and the great resignation phenomenon where people are just quitting. And we know in, uh, in the medical sector that's happening, people leaving the workforce altogether. And these awful statistics about sexual harassment and seven or seven to 8% of women consultants in orthopedic surgery. So there are real challenges there that need solid leaders and leadership. And Kamal will talk about the India uh, scenario. So the literature too says there is a case to be made for engaging physicians in, their, in organizing and leading. Um, it leads to better organizational performance, uh, change management at all levels in the systems. In Cleveland Clinic, Ohio, uh, James Stoller has given also very practical evidence of their medical leadership development programs. And Jason Geats in Canada has done some reviews recently showing that there's little evidence base for some of these medical leadership program content, the curriculum. And also there is little um, in terms of longitudinal studies about the impacts on patient care. And certainly, obviously, for good governance, we need diverse boards, we need women at all levels. So I think what's interesting about our study, it's that post-COVID, uh, during the pandemic, women, even without children, took on uh, disproportionate levels of responsibilities in households. We know globally there's medical workforce shortages. And women do sometimes tend to offer to do uh, jobs in the workforce that are not career enhancing. Um, medical students lost out on a lot of training and socialization and opportunities for their own development during the pandemic. 
And yet we also have extreme examples of other people um, working at home most of their time, not doing shift work and having quite different lives from physicians who are having to pay for childcare and commuting, with some exceptions like radiologists, some of whom I found uh, work all the time at home. So there's lots of tensions in the system that need resolving by leadership teams and people who understand managing and organizing and inclusive cultures, gaps between medics and managers and a lack of institutional support. We all know about the strikes in the UK um, and other parts of the world, the US, psychological distress, mental health and well-being, and physician burnout. So what can we do to re-engage, re-imagine our physicians' sustainable careers? How can we reduce obstacles and enhance enablers? And the kind of national level policies that are supporting flexible working, um, why aren't they being necessarily agreed on the ground? Uh, some people are being told that they're asking for part-time working is just a kiss of death for their careers. So our study uh, is a qualitative study. We uh, did a literature review on gender equality, organizational behavior. So the beauty of this project is having uh, collaborators from medical school and uh, business school. So predominantly we did 30 interviews in each country, one-to-one -one semi-structured qualitative interviews. We also did a survey in uh, Ames Jammu and a case methodology looking at critical incidents, narrative accounts, thematic analysis and cross-country analysis. And along the way, we aired our findings with workshops and symposia, conferences, writing with MBA students and uh, blogs and so on. And then trying to conceptualize, we've written several papers, uh, several in progress. We looked at the sociology of the professions, different occupational groups, forms of capital, uh, optimal distinctiveness theory in groups, out groups, and how they interact, and hybrids that move between the two. We did wrote a, a Southeast Asia uh, Lancet regional health paper using Joan Acker's notion of inequality regimes. So, despite changing policies, we have still persistent gender inequalities because of systems. We're also looking at tokenism and intersectional inequality, women on women misogyny, there are elements of that, and looking also how we can collect data to mainstream reporting, gender equality reporting. In conceptualizing our data, we're also quite struck by the 2023 Nobel laureate for economics, uh, Claudia Goldin's work on greedy jobs, which physicians have jobs that eat you up or consuming, um, and her work on parental norms and how flexibility can reduce gender pay gaps. In addition, we looked at HROB literature on diversity management, looking at relationships between different levels of approaches to leading on diversity and inclusion. We've also done a paper on the resource-based view of the firm, so looking at organizational resources that support leadership amongst physicians, looking at the individual level of jobs and how demands exceed resources and individuals conservation of resources linked to work-life balance, quiet quitting and burnout and career resourcing over the lifespan. And then obviously management learning, um, uh, kind of my background as well on that strategic leadership, making sense in the workplace. 
So I guess we all know endemic reasons for gender inequalities in society. Women are seen as primary carers. Tanya Jenkins has looked at this kind of 1950s model of the uh, Johns Hopkins residency uh, white male trainee from a privileged background who has nothing else to do other than work um, on these relentless rotors, which is not fit for purpose in the 21st century. He also looked at gray literature, international labor organization principles on uh, diversity and inclusion, which stress the importance of prioritizing diversity and inclusion in strategy and in culture within the composition of top management teams, holding people, line managers, senior leaders to account as role models, and making sure these actions are not just at the early retent early stages, like we're having more medical students who are women globally coming into the profession, but also we have to look at promotions and development and access to opportunities. This Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development uh, paper also stresses a systemic approach for, to inclusion, the importance of culture, supporting peoples to feel safe, going beyond legal mere legal compliance and consistently being flexible um, and customized in being equitable. So our key messages, we need to look at the macro country level policies, what's happening within organizations, particularly medical schools and uh, hospitals, uh, healthcare organizations, and what's happening at the line management level to support individuals over their careers. And then finally, for my slide here, uh, we've come up with this model of looking at the antecedents to inclusive medical leadership development, top level commitment, boardroom commitment, line managers who are accountable, a whole career approach, evidence-based medical leadership development, various processes that will enable that, and then the outcomes of producing these kind of hybrid leaders um, and supporting these key sustainable development goals, three, five, and eight which are focused on healthcare, equity, equality, and decent working lives, um, and collecting case studies um, to help us reimagine medical leadership careers um, in a very changing context of AI and robotics and new roles. Okay, so I'll hand over now to Kabir uh, and Kamal. Thank you, Julie. Uh, that was really great to see some of the methodologies being laid out and also the different frameworks you're using to address a topic which is really quite multifaceted and um, that requires that kind of diversity or heterogeneity of approaches to look at. So so that's brilliant. We already have some interesting questions coming through and it just reminded me that actually I, uh, uh, I should remind uh, participants about how they can ask questions in case they're not aware already. Uh, and so there's a... There will be time at the end, so please submit your questions at any point during Julie's and Kamal's talks. You can go to sli.do, S-L-I.do, if you enter that into your internet browser, and enter the event code, hashtag medical, and you will get access to the questions. So now it's time for Kamal's talk. Dr. Kamal Gulati is Senior Scientist at the All India Institute of Medical Sciences, New Delhi, an honorary lecturer at the UCL Global Business School for Health. His area of areas of research interest include medical leadership development, project management, medical education, and health services research. He's received many awards, including the Shevening Research 
Research Science and Innovation Leadership Fellowship, University of Oxford, and the International Fellowship of the Institute of Advanced Studies at Warwick University, and also the Zorn MW Fellowship at Erasmus University and the BDD Welcome Trust International Research Management Award. Welcome, Kamal, and over to you for your talk. Uh, thank you, Kabir, and uh, thank you, Julie. Uh, uh, Julie, thank you for setting the stage. Medical leadership, uh, the Indian scenario, uh, it is interesting to see that mostly the work, the research work uh, is being carried out uh, in the high income countries and not much work is being done in the low and middle income countries when we talk about the medical leadership. So when I do research uh, in the area of medical leadership and I tell people, my colleagues, that uh, my area of research interest is medical leadership, sometimes they give me a strange look that what is medical leadership, you know? So in our part of world, uh, we are more focused on the communicable diseases and non-communicable diseases and uh, health system strengthening, uh, particularly medical leadership is not a priority research area when we go at the institute level or at the policy level. Next, please. So a brief overview about the healthcare industry in India. India is now the world's most populous country with a population of about 1.4 billion people. And likewise, our healthcare market is also uh, quite uh, huge, about the US dollar 372 billion. And uh, healthcare is one of the largest employers in India as it employs about 4.7 million people. So this demand uh, poses challenges as well as some opportunities. Uh, and uh, interestingly, our public expenditure on healthcare is very low compared to OECD countries and other uh, neighboring countries. Uh, India spends around 2.1% of its GDP uh, on the healthcare uh, when it comes to public ex expenditure. Uh, we also struggle with the trained manpower, uh, particularly trained medical professionals. And uh, India is currently undergoing national public health reforms through, uh, through two very ambitious uh, government schemes of uh, Pradhan Mantri Swasthya Seva Suraksha Yojana, that is PM scheme uh, for Social Security. And the other is ABPMJ, that is the National Insurance uh, Security Scheme for the poor people uh, in the country. Next, please. So it is just a brief overview of the Indian healthcare system. Our healthcare is quite uh, diverse and dynamic. We have public sector hospitals, which are uh, managed and funded by Ministry of Health and Family Welfare. Again, we have uh, distribution at state and central level, then rural areas and urban areas, right from uh, community health centers to public health centers. Uh, we have hospitals which are managed by Ministry of Defense, Ministry of Railways. Uh, then we have private hospitals which are for profit. And uh, majorly the demand uh, for medical services is uh, in the urban areas is provided by the private sector hospitals. Uh, reason being that they are more accessible as well as the quality is better than the public sector hospitals. Next, please. So now if we talk about the medical leadership, the National Health Policy 2017, uh, which, is the, which is drafted by the Ministry of Health and Family Welfare Government of India, gives us the national mandate to invest into leadership skills building in our healthcare system. So this policy document is very, very important because it is for the first time that the government of India recognizes the need for investing into leadership capacity building uh, in our healthcare system. So health system strengthening is like one of the objectives of this policy through medical leadership. 
and uh, this is why it is an important and uh, interesting mandate uh, to us working in the area of healthcare leadership. Next, please. The next policy document which I would like to share is a Vision 2035. It's a white paper uh, of Niti Aayog. Niti Aayog is Planning Commission of India, which is chaired by the Prime Minister. It also gives us the mandate to invest into managerial leadership at the national and state level. Next, please. Now, we, if we talk about the medical leadership scenario in India, traditionally, like many other low and middle income countries and possibly many Western countries, medical school culture has not encouraged interest in business education. And there are many reasons for that. And uh, developing leadership capacity uh, has not been a priority area uh, in the medical schools. Uh, formal management training is not compulsory when our consultant level physicians take the leadership positions in their respective organizations. And doctors, particularly in the public sector hospitals, are generally promoted by virtue of their seniority or rotation. So length of service is considered as the main criteria when one reaches to the leadership roles like a director, medical superintendent or deans of the medical colleges. Uh, and uh, generally, they are not uh, provided any management training before uh, getting these roles. And surprisingly or unsurprisingly, many clinicians consider themselves as accidental leaders or leaders by chance. So therefore, uh, we believe that the leadership crisis exists in our medical profession and uh, the reasons or the responsibility possibly rest with the regulatory bodies or the policymakers who did not focus much on leadership development in our uh, country. Uh, serious efforts possibly not made to develop leadership in our system. And if we believe that if doctors need to bring reform, they need to be involved in the uh, leadership or uh, management roles from an early age, right from undergraduate level like uh, it is defined in the NHS medical leadership competency framework, which gives us the direction about the undergraduate, postgraduate and consultant level training uh, when it comes to medical leadership. Uh, we conducted a first study from India, which highlighted that the significant leadership competency gaps exist in our healthcare system. Uh, it was uh, published in some international journals. And uh, there was a huge demand, like about 95% of our study participants, uh, the total number of participants was 540. 95% so of our participants indicated a need uh, or desire to attend leadership development program. And we conducted uh, an offsite residential leadership development program, which was attended by 96 physicians, uh, both from public and private sector hospitals. And using the NHS Medical Leadership Competency Framework, our survey questionnaire, we did the pre and post assessment and assessed the 30 medical leadership competencies pre and post the program. And we found that medical uh, leadership development program can be an effective resource when it comes to developing leadership capacity in our part of world. Next, please. So now uh, the question is that why the medical leadership has not progressed or why it is difficult to develop leadership competency in our healthcare system. So uh, the whatever responses we have got or whatever conversation we had, it looks like that the creating dedicated time for leadership training and education in an already tight medical, medical curricula, both at the UG and PG level poses a great challenge. And those who are at the consultant level doctors, they are worried that their involvement in, involvement in management roles will drift away them from the patient care and also limit opportunities to pursue their research and academic uh, ambitions. Uh, further, uh, in the public sector, uh, particularly the hierarchical structure of medicine, linking of promotion to the length of services and the specialization also discourage doctors from being involved in leadership roles. 
and most importantly i believe that the medical leadership has not yet been recognized as a distinct specialty or there is no clear career pathway so that can be a one challenge uh, and uh, that is possibly the reason that the medical leadership competency gaps are existing in our system and our national health programs uh, are suffering uh, because of this leadership competency gap next please uh and we have also shown in our research that uh, in india as per the available data women take only 30% of doctors are women compared to 80% of nurses but when it comes to leadership positions that uh, women comprise only 22% according to the insiders reports 2021 next please uh recently uh, this is the uh, data analysis which is in progress and we uh, got this data from the aims aims is like all india institute of medical sciences new delhi and we uh, took this data from the annual reports uh, right from 2004 to 2023 and we tried to look at that what is the distribution gender distribution when it comes to uh, the consultants uh, at the department head level over the area over the years right from 2004 to 2023 and we found that it is mainly male dominated when it comes to occupying leadership roles like head of the departments across different specialties in clinical paraclinical and surgical disciplines next please uh the same is the scenario uh, with the consultant level positions like uh, assistant professor associate professors and professors levels right from 2004 to 23 it is again male dominated the women are like uh, numbers are rising but i think it will take a long time to uh, reach the gender equality in our institute next please uh, this is an interesting report uh, which is all india survey of uh, ministry of education it shows that right from 2011 12 to 1920 uh, the female students have been al almost like 60% when it comes to like undergraduate studies or the postgraduate studies so it shows that while coming to medical education uh, majority are women but when it comes to uh, leadership roles uh, women are less around 20 20-22%. Next, please. Uh, the same uh, in the female students, percentage is around 63 to 66% when it comes to medical uh, uh, courses. Next, please. Yeah. So we suggest some strategies based on our research about developing leadership in Indian uh, in an Indian healthcare system. Uh, we believe that in contrast to West, India might first deliver LDPs for the senior doctors, those who are already in leadership roles. but these ldps leadership development programs needs to be contextualized for india in terms of economic workforce and cultural challenges state agencies like medical schools business schools and professional bodies need to be engaged and collaborate uh, to conduct these programs and we uh, there should be a commitment at all organization levels to achieve diversity equity and inclusion in medical leadership and to support leadership development next please so we call for a collaboration of medicine and management uh, or basically medical schools and business schools to conduct joint courses and uh, programs leadership development programs uh, also interdisciplinary workshops uh, faculty exchange program uh, like medical school faculty going to business schools or business schools faculty coming to medical schools to have an exposure or first and experience how uh, both the systems work next please uh also we propose internship opportunities uh, between business schools and medical schools uh, carrying out joint research projects like we are conducting uh, with the university college london global business school for health mentorship can also play a critical role uh, while uh, developing leadership capacity next please 
Uh, collaborative case studies, adjunct faculty engagements, and the joint conferences uh, can also be possible uh, tools to uh, for collaboration and uh, bringing medicine and management together. Next, please. Now, this is interesting that our union health minister, uh, Dr. Mansuk Mandavia, uh, during a meeting, he uh, he highlighted and encouraged representatives of all aims. And uh, I should tell you that there are 22 aims-like institute, institutes coming up across India. And he suggested that aims-like institutes should also collaborate with Indian Institute of Management. Uh, those are the business schools uh, to bring management capacity to medical schools. So this is very important. Uh, so some noise is happening at the institute uh, policy level. Next, please. So if I summarize that the national health policy gives us the national mandate to invest into leadership capacity building, there's a need for medicine management collaboration, both at national and international levels to strengthen the evidence about medical leadership and design and conduct medical leadership development programs. We also need medical leadership models and frameworks like the NHS medical leadership competency framework in our part of world. And I think by that we can develop some effective leaders and drive entrepreneurship and improve healthcare management practices in healthcare industry in India. Next, please. So uh, just to mention that recently on 22nd November, we had a UCL AM strategic meeting in New Delhi, uh, 23rd November in AIMS New Delhi, which was attended by uh, the leadership of AIMS New Delhi and the UCL. And during this meeting, we had a good uh, conversation about developing medical leadership and collaboration and knowledge exchange in this area. Next, please. Over to you, Julie. Okay, thank you. So I guess in summary, um, in terms of gender disparities in India, they're clearly, it's a patriarchal society, uh, particular expectations of women to marry early and to take care of in-laws. So it has differences, some differences from the UK and um, the old boys network and people, women feeling uh, left out of the boardroom was a particular uh, aspect. Um, if, in response to our research question. So the, these, this is the problem statement, as uh, Kamal has said, most hospitals are actually led by men, physicians, They're a bit different from the UK where actually there are many non-physicians leading hospitals, but they don't have medical leadership training. And we looked at the um, kind of Cleveland Clinic, the US model of the MD, MBA. So Cleveland Clinic London is run by a, a a medic who is has a GMC registration and also an MBA and is president of Cleveland Clinic London. So particularly we were looking at the drivers and the obstacles uh, for development in both countries with a particular focus on women and inequalities. And as I mentioned earlier, we've blogged our way through this project, um, trying to raise awareness of, of the challenges, covert and overt in, in both countries. So there are particular uh, statistics about women in India, um, only 14.2% of medical doctors, according to 2022 WHO data, um, were medics. And uh, Karen and colleagues found that uh, many had actually left. Uh, so <clears throat> those who'd actually gone through the training uh, were engaged 20% of 30 to 40 year olds were actually um, working at home instead. And 
there has only ever been uh, one woman director of Ames New Delhi, one of the most prestigious medical schools, or the most prestigious in India. And of the new Ames, um, <clears throat> one, uh, only three out of the 18 new directors. So the profile here is of the uh, interviewees in India, um, various quotes, we categorize these at macro, meso, and individual levels. So, uh, you know, relentless stream of patients, huge unmet needs, lack of institutional support, invisible administration, and uh, physicians not feeling that they could be engaged in decision-making to improve patient outcomes, and men dominating the boardroom. We also saw positive comments about systems level changes, uh, a huge appetite for leadership development, positive comments from men about women being polymaths and multitaskers and natural born leaders and opportunities people saw for developing skills, particularly procurement was an issue, um, legal issues, emotional intelligence, conflict management, mentoring, um, dealing with criticism, stakeholder engagement, and at an individual level, um, there was recognition that despite the preference for, for male doctors and communities, that women were more open about their health and well-being with women um, physicians. And since COVID, men, everyone wanting more time, more work-life balance. So to summarize the key themes that emerge from India here, the sample and uh, prioritize the importance of medical schools in this ecosystem, continuous medical leadership development, somehow within giving bandwidth and space for women to have some um, work-life balance with flexibility. And as Kamal has just done, collecting more data to, to show uh, inequalities and scope for improvement. So I'd just like to wrap up uh, looking at the English uh, sample. We had um, a range of people. We had a very interesting medical school student who's 21. He's actually already had three years boardroom experience as a youth representative on an integrated care board. And we had people also towards the end of their careers. Five women were working in the private sector. Uh, two women consultants had always, uh, since they'd had kids, uh, working part-time. I had quite a lot of surgeons in my sample, and we also had a quite a few people compared with the India sample who had MBAs um, or working towards MBAs, and over half were for, had Asian backgrounds. So if we look at the latest GMC data, you might think there's a very positive story happening here um, because we we have more than actual gender parity in Scotland and Northern Ireland. There are more women doctors there than the men doctors. And in the England, it's 49% uh, registered licensed uh, female doctors. 52% of new doctors are women. There are more women joining and uh, there are more men leaving the profession. Uh, it's interesting that actually 52% of uh, international medical graduates are men. And there's a growing number of overseas trained doctors joining the workforce and also increasingly um, part-time working and flexible working 
However, this can have potentially negative effects on um, women's careers in terms of hierarchies. And there are, have been developments. Uh, Sally Davis is a great advocate of Athena Swan to increase the number of women deans in medical schools as well. So as Kamal says, we have this quite old now uh, NHS medical leadership competency framework, and we've had various reviews, um, and the GMC itself in its latest report emphasised the importance of good leaders who can provide personalised support for the well-being of healthcare workers. Um, but still, we have the challenges of persistent gender disparity, particularly um, amongst surgeons and issues of harassment not being tackled. So, so Steve Powis, who I discovered this morning, is coming on the trade mission that I'm joining next week um, in India. He's the National Medical Director of NHS England. He was giving evidence a few weeks ago in the House of Commons, and he made this point um, so he admitted that he had no structured leadership development himself when he was going through the system. And he was very hopeful that things would be different in future. And he cited the FMLL program for National um, Medical Directors Clinical Fellowship Scheme. He also emphasized the importance of leaders, physician leaders as role models, developing a culture where people could speak up and felt supported. Uh, and set the right tone. Um, however, our data kind of contradicts some of his uh, perhaps assumptions that uh, medical leadership development is widespread and freely available and funded. Um, and particularly there are, as we've mentioned, challenges for women all over uh, the world, including childcare access, affordability, the motherhood penalty, physicians who are dual income couples, particularly in the UK, when they're training, having to move potentially every six months as part of their traineeships. And with children in school, that can be very difficult. Something has to give. And particularly, I guess, galling is when you see other professionals who, who are working increasingly at home. So some of the comments from the interviewees emphasize that the old boys' school network is still there. Uh, Unlike their bosses, they can't afford to uh, buy homes. Um, it's not worth being a physician any longer uh, because of the cost of living and the, the conditions. Being a slave to rotors, rotor fodder is a challenge. And um, although official policy says part-time is you know, particularly encouraged, in practice, it's strongly discouraged. There's also a leaky pipeline with women joining the profession and then not rising in the ranks. And one very senior woman said she was interviewing for a very senior position. And the men just had on their CV evidence from the boardroom, very strong evidence of their leadership um, activities where the women didn't seem to have garnered that. Positive comments we found, uh, examples of, uh, we've had a, finally a female president of the British Orthopaedics Association, the Royal College of Surgeons. People are seeing the old boys club being dismantled, more parental leave, um, better conditions in the NHS in terms of family friendly policies and other sectors such as financial services. 
greater openness in reporting misconduct, particularly after the Lucy Letby scandal. Younger people have more positive views of women leaders and uh, more mentorship available. Generation Z just not tolerating this kind of always working uh, phenomenon. And um, women doctors joining entrepreneurship courses, GPs taking on leadership roles in primary care networks, although not necessarily chairing them. And people saying they've had lots of support throughout their careers. And particularly graduates of our MBA health program saying it's given them a real confidence boost. Uh, and I have one of my graduates who's uh, leading now a new service stream for women only in her private health care. Yet we see still um, lots of intersectional inequalities. Uh, physicians who stepped up during COVID uh, being forced to step back, as I said earlier, to, to clear backlogs. So lots of reasons still um, to drive um, in a, reducing intersectional inequalities and reducing um, in practice uh, discrimination. Opportunities to provide greater psychological safety, um, and what we're doing next is looking at papers that compare and contrast uh, the two countries, uh, driving and restraining forces in both India and the UK, looking at societal norms, commonalities, um, for instance, there are positives, I guess, in India of greater domestic help. In the UK, people are finding some of their partners are working from home more, which actually makes their lives easier. Um, but this constant challenge of these greedy jobs that uh, lead to burnout potentially, um, unless there are kind of interventions to support people in, in these jobs. Uh, we're also looking at possible solutions and uh, talking, particularly some of my EMBA health students are saying, where can we go in India? You know, is it Bollywood? Is it ex-cricketers, uh, senior medical leaders who can really uh, change the patriarchy and move forward the agenda that we're trying to uh, advance. So definitely we found an appetite uh, for medical leadership development and appreciation that physicians uh, need support. Uh, organizations need better quality leaders, uh, multidisciplinary teams, collective leadership. And we know that diversity management has poorly executed has very negative effects at the team level for patient care uh, for nations and their productivity. There was an article in The Economist last week about uh, governance and uh, the importance of women in, in governance. So we've seen some very good examples. We're collecting positive examples of equity in the workforce um, and looking at medical leadership interventions that are evidence-based and that can support inclusive cultures. So in summary, really, we're adopting this multi-level approach of what's happening at the macro policy national level, how we can join that up with what's happening within organizations and how we can support individuals too. And then finally, going forward, our plans for the new year are to continue this joint working to involve more uh, physicians in India and physicians in the UK actually talking together um, and jointly uh, discussing their, their issues. So this radio, BBC Radio 4 listening project is a model of dyads, of couples, of counterparts talking about their challenges. 
We've worked with Jane Dacre at UCL, whose uh, Medical Women Talking podcast is excellent. We'd like to replicate that with uh, physicians in India and the UK. We have Chevening funding for workshops in January and February in India. We're working on papers, potential book, and with colleagues at Warwick, particularly on orthopedic surgery. And I guess there are elections in both countries next year. So it's interesting to see how the landscape is changing. And hopefully we can make a difference, uh, make more impact with our research and our project. And in tune with the 2030 India-UK Future Relations Roadmap, uh, support these various sustainable development goals for healthy lives, for the healthcare workforce, for physicians, gender equity, equality, uh, decent work, and uh, reducing inequalities. Okay, so thank you very much. I'll stop sharing now and hand back to Kabir. Julian Kamal, thank you for that very sweeping presentation on covering a really a range of themes. Yeah. Very interestingly, not only addressing some of the uh, thematics and data around uh, medical leadership, but also addressing what questions of the context, cultural context, governance, uh, and highlighting some positive examples as well. And we've got great engagement already in the Q&A. So there's um, some very uh, some questions on methodology, some questions on um, uh, the underlying precepts and concepts. Uh, so I'm going to curate them a little bit. Let's start with uh, one which is quite fundamental and maybe you have an answer for. Uh, and that's uh, why are we focusing on medical leadership? Uh, for comprehensive health services and certainly public health planning, we need to engage other healthcare providers as leaders as well. Uh, so that's something chunky to bite into. Over. Okay. Kamal, would you like to start? You've been at this longer than I have. Yeah, it's an uh, interesting question. And uh, I have... I have seen a similar questions in uh, my institute also when people say that why should we invest into uh, medical leadership when we have other challenges which are directly related to our patient care and all that. But I say that somewhere we have to start. Uh, we have to focus at uh, some point at some focus area. So we have chosen this area and, uh, and it is an already established area in the Western context. So we are trying to do a similar kind of work in the non-Western context. And I think there's a growing evidence which suggests that leadership uh, has a direct correlation when it comes to improved quality uh, healthcare uh, delivery or clinical outcomes. So that excites me when it comes to medical leadership. Julie may add, please. Yeah, we're certainly not, we really don't envisage the ideal of these medical of these leadership development programs being just medics. I mean, the model here is integrated care, multidisciplinary teams, collective leadership. So uh, Dave Probert, CEO of UCLH, uh, gave an induction talk for us and said the ideal is actually a triumvirate. You know, you have um, CEOs, maybe administrators like him, who are non-physicians working with a physician and other allied healthcare professionals. So there are very impressive, you know, nurse CEOs and social science CEOs. So I see this as a collective um, endeavor and we have physios, we have um, nurses on our MBA health program. Um, 
but I think there is a particular gap, the intense, the intensity and the length of uh, the medical school curriculum beyond the GP training, uh, you know, 11 or however many years to be an orthopedic surgeon, and then having no leadership. I think someone, one of my my relatives who's an orthopedic surgeon said he just had half a day's leadership development before he applied for a consulting job, which is not really enough. Um, so yeah, we're taking a spotlight on medical leadership, but we don't think a physician should be isolated. Thank you, Julie and Kamal. So I think the point is made about uh, medical leadership being an entry point, but you also recognize it, uh, the importance of the different uh, uh, healthcare professions and, and developing those as well in a broader context. Uh, I think there are two more questions which are quite similar and speak to a similar theme around uh, cultural reasons and barriers and how one might seek to overcome them. So I'm going to read them both out, but um, uh, feel free to choose one or to, uh, to, to answer both of them. So the first one is how do we address, the, how do we handle the cultural reasons and barriers that reduce the participation of women in leadership in India. And the second question that is related is, uh, how, can you, how can your findings actually influence systems changes in a patriarchy and in a context of conservative profession? Okay, over to you. Yeah, when it comes to like Indian Indian context, yes, India is a patriarchy society and uh, male dominated both at social system as well as uh, in the boardrooms, and we have uh, enough evidence to support uh, this statement. But if you see now in the modern India, the time is changing. Uh, women are more empowered, and uh, men are also like. Uh, adjusting to the schedule of women, particularly in metropolitan cities where the women are working. But yes, uh, it makes a lot of sense when we say that the primary responsibility to manage the healthcare, or sorry, uh, hospitals or work and uh, family is uh, majorly uh, taken by the women and they find it challenging to balance uh, work and uh, professional lives. When it comes to our findings, uh, uh, the idea is to generate evidence because what we are saying uh, right now is not evidence-based or it has been like hypothetically we used to say but the idea is to first generate first-hand evidence when it comes to medical leadership or women in medical leadership uh, and then uh, once we have the evidence uh, based on data possibly we can approach the policy makers uh, both at organizational level as well as uh, systems level and we can uh, influence them to make some adjustments or changes in the existing system. But right now, the idea is to generate evidence. Yes, I agree, a patriarchy. And when we've had these lunar landings, Modi um, celebrating women, um, the G20, the W20, uh, distinct uh, focus on women recently, um, but yeah, as an outsider, I, I can't influence the impact uh, the Indian medical system. So some of our students actually who who were born in India and have a background are are happy to work with us um, in some of these workshops. And um, I think it's political will. That is a very good question. 
as you know, Kabir, yourself, um, how, how do you tip the balance if more women are coming through medical schools? One would hope there'll be a critical mass at some point. Thanks, Julian Kamal. So the next question is uh, similar, but it kind of overturns uh, the overturns the conversation in a slightly different direction. Uh, it's a three-pronged question and uh, speaks a little bit to the experience of the questioner as well. So many companies in my industry, which is engineering, so the questioner is saying we are from an engineering background, are putting significant resource and effort into recruiting and retaining female engineers. However, my partner works for the NHS, where approximately 80% of the workforce is female. Um, however, no efforts are being made to recruit more men, uh, more male staff to address the gender disparity. Why is there only a focus? So that's the back background. Why is there only a focus on addressing gender disparities in senior roles, but not across the workforce? Okay, over to you, Julie. Yes, I remember going to a French school of engineering, Ecole de Mines, and um, asking about how many women they had. And they uh, said Shell and other people were killing themselves to get their women graduates. Because once you had women, you know, mixed, the men behaved so much better. So, yeah, I agree. And there's this W, you, you need to, where there are, is a shortage of men. I mean, we have an issue in the UCL, Athena Swan, silver or gold for one of our institutes women's health and they don't have enough men on the program so they they are shifting their gender equality goals to attract more men on their programs there's this who report on delivered uh delivered by women and led by men so that you know 75 percent of healthcare is delivered by women but you don't see them in the boardroom so clearly we are advocating more women in senior leadership positions but I think it's equally unhealthy to have 80% women and no men in these NHS leadership positions too, because if we have diversity in the population, people want to see themselves represented in the workforce. So too many women is not a good thing either. So we need fair representation. That's what we're arguing for. Thank you, Julian. Thank you also for referencing that WHO report. And I think it's really quite striking how the differences uh, and the disparities play out at different levels. And that's also a reflection on how uh, gender plays out within systems. Uh, so the two questions now, we, we do have a little bit of time left and you've been very uh, concise and to the point in answering. So that's allowed us to squeeze in more questions. So there's a couple of questions now which speak a little bit to issues around positionality and methodology, which I think you might find interesting. Uh, there's the, so I'm going to ask both of them. Okay, feel free to pick one or to answer both. Uh, the first is, what are your own positions as researchers and how do you reduce bias in your study? Uh, and the second question is, how do you engage very busy professionals in the study? Uh, both certainly things that I've experienced. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your insights. Come on. Yeah, it's an uh, interesting question. And it reminds me uh, when I was giving my uh, 
final viva of my doctoral research uh, and uh, my response rate in a quantitative study was 54% and it was again on medical leadership. The same question was asked that how your response rate can be 54%. It's quite high and how could you manage to approach very busy medical professionals while collecting your data of 540 doctors across India. So uh, I'll say yes, bias is of course there because uh, we use the purposive sampling or the convenience sampling and uh, we uh, uh, approached medical doctors, those who are in my network being in Ames. Uh, we collected data from two public hospitals, one being Ames New Delhi and one in Ames Jammu. Uh, majority of our study participants are senior medical doctors, both men and women from uh, my personal network or by uh, reference. So yes, uh, that can be one reason to approach and having consent to participate in our study. Julie? Yeah, I too had a convenient sample. So you're speaking sometimes to the converted, people who are applying for MBAs already have one. So that does have a bias. Neither of us are medics, so I guess that um, I have a social science background. Um, so yes, inevitably, we, we're, we're honest about our um, potential bias and um, and uh, we, you know, we're, we're many people from Metropolitan as well, many people from London, I interviewed and Delhi with the other sample, also Jamal. And we did try to find counterfactuals and cynics and uh, people who are maybe anti anti-management and leadership too. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, the airing, having workshops, writing publicly about this, getting feedback, um, talking to people who've written a case study as well, um, opening up our findings and letting people criticize our sources. Hopefully that's um, reduced the potential for bias. Great. And uh, in the interest of time, I think I'm going to try and wrap up, but I'm going to keep my wrap up short because actually we have another few more questions coming up um, and I'd rather you answer those questions. It's a, it's a very, uh, you've you really touched upon the surface of a number of things and uh, started initiating inquiry into this area, which is uh, very underserved. And I think uh, it would be great if some of the people who have questions would, could follow up with you offline and, and continue those conversations. But I'm going to leave you with one last question, uh, which is uh, how do race, ethnicity, and caste play out in your studies? Uh, and maybe if you could uh, respond as briefly as possible, and then we will um, try and close in time. Over. Again, talking about the Indian context, we have not considered caste or religion in our study. It was purely uh, based on uh, the position of the person, uh, gender, age, work experience and how much time they dedicate to management uh, functions uh, on a routine day. So we did not consider caste and religion or ethnicity in our study. Yeah, my sample, uh, more than half were for ethnic minorities and certainly a mix of religions, uh, Muslim, Hindu, Christian. So intersectionality is kind of included. Thank you. So maybe that's a further area of inquiry because certainly I know that uh, affirmative action, for example, is a big point of contestation in the Indian context and it is elsewhere as well. And it would be great to understand the role that some of these factors play as well. Uh, so we are almost at time. So I have a, just a minute to thank everybody for their participation. 
thank uh, the audience, but also very special, especially uh, Julie and Kamal for their uh, rather masterful talks. I was really learned a lot in this very short duration and really opened up a whole new area. But also Diana, Kate, and the technical team who've been responsible for setting this up and publicizing it these past few weeks and making this event happen. Uh, so the next lunch hour lecture will be on 5th of December, uh, and it's by Dr. Victoria Garfield. And the topic is, can good sleep help our brain as we age? So if you get a chance to put that into your calendar, we'll attend that as well. And I'll close here with thanks to all of you again. Bye-bye. Thank you, Kabir. Thank you, Julie. Bye-bye. Thank you very much.